Martin banks it off. Sutter is up with it there. Right around in front. Live in the entertainment capital of the world. Leading goal scorer on the team. Drew one in front. It's the T.C. Martin Show. A tie game on the power play. Hodgson was at the front of the net. They are even. It's time to get your daily prescription from the doctor. A power play goal by the captain. T.C. Martin. It's brushed on back by Richard Hodgson. Right up front. Younger fan inside of the net. is now in and welcome in the doctor is in but he's in houston getting ready for some baseball because he gets a vacation we don't ballpark frank in the studio here with nunchuck behind the proverbial glasses tc likes to say and uh Hopefully an entertaining show coming your way today. Going to talk to Jim Gemma of the Las Vegas Aviators. Kind of get a feeling for what the mood is like in the clubhouse right now with the trade deadline coming up. What are the A's doing? What are the Aviators doing? Oh, hovering at about 500 right now, 37 and 35. They are back home. And the big news tonight, if you're an animal lover, Finn the Bat Dog coming back on the field actually just saw him out at that battle for Vegas. He was out there doing some stuff and uh, trying to catch a Frisbee. Finn is not a Frisbee dog, but he caught a couple of them. But uh, joining me today, a gentleman that I got to get to know very well in the Vegas Golden Knights first season. We did the games together. We did the Vegas Golden Knights Insider Show together. We were on the concourse. He was always looking for the stanchions to keep the people close, but not too close. My friend, my partner, season one. Big uh, sports fan, and we always talked about doing a show about the not mainstream sports, and I figured with the Olympics going on, what better time to have him in? My good friend, Mr. Clayton Hamilton. Clayton, how are you doing, man? I am excellent, Frank. It is great to see you. I feel like I haven't seen you in a, a more than a year, which I haven't. That's probably why I feel that way. Yeah, it's, it's been a while. I think we ran into each other at some casino or something once or something, just exchange courtesies or whatever but uh yeah it has definitely been a while and uh you know i know that you're uh still following the sports scene a lot and this is your time of year or time of every four years or is it two years since the winter and summer and this year it was five and whatever 2021 is it, it, it's still weird to me every time when i watch the olympics and i see signs everywhere saying 2020 olympics and it's like yeah but it's not 2020 but I understand they had everything already made up, but uh, yeah, the Olympics and all these sports, right in your wheelhouse. It is right in my wheelhouse. I'm one of those people that likes to take a break from sports with more sports. Like I can't get, I can't watch The Bachelor. I can't watch any of the crappy TV shows that NBC and ABC and CBS and all the and all the paywalls. Big Brother, Temptation Island, all this stuff. All don't that do it stuff for you. <laughs> that they crank out. It's it's garbage. So, I, I completely concur with all of that. So when I'm not watching baseball or basketball or football i watch bobsled and track and field and all of the other olympic sports i follow them you know 24 7 all, all the year round so all right well, we're going to look at what we've seen in the olympics up to this point we're going to preview preview some of the stuff still to come because i know track and field is big and that seems to be what a lot of people are uh, going to be looking at as i mentioned we're also speaking with jim Gemma, but i wanted to do a little trip down memory lane for both of us okay. because we haven't been on certainly on this show uh, together before and and even at uh, when we were doing the Vegas Golden Knights games, we weren't recapping stuff because we were doing everything currently that was going on there. But, you know, a lot of people say that they're tired of hearing about Season 1 with the Vegas Golden Knights. But with everything going on right now, and they did make it to the Stanley Cup Final, which they haven't done since Season 1, I figured maybe some people would enjoy that a little bit and maybe throw our thoughts and input in there about what it was like and just where Vegas is going because it seems like forever ago that Vegas didn't have a professional major league sports team. Now, they had the Aviators and, of course, the 51s and the Stars before that, the the same team, the Aviators, the baseball. There used to be the Flash, which was a roller, basically a, a, a roller derby type team. Uh, they've had a lot of different sports out here. The Golden Knights come in. Now we have the Aces. We, st- we have the Aviators. We're talking about the NBA. We have the Silver Knights in a city where hockey's not going to work in that. And just what it was like for you when, when we did that first season. And I, I'm, I don't think I'm out of line to say that you and I were instrumental in really introducing hockey to a lot of people in this city. 
of Las Vegas. Yeah, people followed the Thunder and they followed the, you know, the Wranglers after that. But a lot of the people didn't know hockey that much, and their first experience was kind of listening to us and talking about it on the show and doing the games. And it, it was kind of new to us as well because we'd never covered an NHL team before. But it was quite an experience, and regardless of whatever happens, we will always have that to, uh, whether we need a resume or not, we can put it on that, or just we'll always have that in the memory banks that it's one of the things that they at least can't take away from us. <laughs> yeah, it, it was fun in that I don't think anybody really knew what we were getting ourselves into. Not just us, but the you know the broadcast partner that we worked for at the time didn't know what they were getting themselves into. A, a lot of people in the in the front office at at the Golden Knights had maybe been there in different capacities at other organizations. So it was kind of a fresh start uh, for everyone. And, and like you said, Frank, it was the first step into major professional sports because the Las Vegas outlaws of the USFL just doesn't count. No. And, and, and quite honestly, at this time, this city was kind of known as a UNLV town. And that's not to no disrespect again to the baseball who's been here forever and they've been a professional sport but not the major league level like you mentioned the outlaws there's been a lot of different teams out here but when the Vegas Golden Knights came and people thought they you know there wasn't even a stadium when we started talking about it there was no T-Mobile Arena there was no franchise here uh, you know the NHL basically said. Yeah, okay, here, uh, sell this many season tickets and we'll talk to you then. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge, goodbye, because it's never going to happen. And then they went way over that, and everybody went, well, wait, Vegas is serious. Now you look at it today, now you have Seattle starting up next season as well. The All-Star game is going to be coming here. We have Allegiant Stadium with the Raiders, and we have all these other teams, but the Golden Knights really spearheaded everything. And the eyes of, I don't know if it was the entire world, I think as that season went on, it did become the entire world, but certainly the eyes of the entire United States was on Vegas saying, all right, is this going to work there? And it not only worked, it thrived to the point of, again, where now there's an AHL team out here as well. It's one of those things where you sort of look at what the landscape was in pro sports prior, and you think about, oh, it's it's Chicago, it's New York, it's Los Angeles, and where does an emerging market fit in? And something I think Las Vegas has been able to prove in a way that was started by those who came before with the Oklahoma City Thunder and their success, and you look at the Tennessee Titans and the success in Nashville and then with the Predators, that these emerging cities that have been overlooked because all oh, their population's not big enough or their media reach isn't big enough, and that's something they looked at Las Vegas. Oh, Las Vegas, it's just a suburb of Los Angeles. It's just a suburb of Phoenix that these emerging markets not a, are not only able to fill stadiums, but they're able to generate and drive television ratings and revenue. And I think that's going to be the lasting legacy of the Golden Knights is to say that, hey, a population base of X amount of size not just can fill T-Mobile Arena, but can drive television ratings. And that's what I think has turned heads of the NBA or Major League Baseball in terms of looking not just at Las Vegas, but places like Buffalo or you know Charlotte or other emerging television markets. And the other thing about it, too, was when Vegas came here, the thing that we kept on hearing, it's never going to work, or if it does work, the stadium's going to have to be at least 50% or more of the opposing team. People flying to Vegas to see their team. And certainly that first season, season one, we saw a lot of jerseys of the other teams, especially when the original six would come. The Blackhawks, the Rangers, the teams from Canada, when they would come to town. But as that season went on, and certainly now you see it, and you still see jerseys for the other teams, or sweaters, as hockey purists like to call them, but... We didn't see that that it the state it was sold out every game. The people that bought the season tickets were using those as investments when some other teams would come into town. They sell half a dozen games and they would get all their money back and then we saw it where they're like, Hey, you know what, we don't want you selling to these markets anymore. But it really did prove that you don't need the other teams' fans to come in, at least not in T-Mobile where it's, you know, 18, 20,000 or whatever. Now, I'm curious to see what it is with the Raiders where all of a sudden you're talking 65,000 or whatever. How many of those will be the fans from other teams coming in? And I know the Raiders have a good fan base, but they also have a lot of people that don't like them because they are the Raiders. And, you know, if you're a fan of the Chiefs or the Broncos or somebody else, you have a disdain for them. But T-Mobile Arena, Vegas did show that a venue of that size, that if you put a good product, a competitive product on the ice, 
while it's nice to have some other people come in, I know Bill Foley would rather have them watching at a local bar or something like that or someplace down in the plaza in the park area and everything rather than being in the stadium because there are enough Golden Knights fans out here to not only come there, but it's one of the highest-priced tickets in the league. And it certainly helped that first season that they were good. And and you kind of wonder what the the landscape or the story would have been if they had not been good. But you look at a team like the Arizona Diamondbacks when they first came into the league in baseball, everybody's looking at Phoenix. Could Phoenix support a Major League Baseball team? And the Diamondbacks were very good in their initial years and since then have fallen on very hard times. And now you're starting to see the question in Phoenix of, you know, I don't think the Diamondbacks are going anywhere, but just how, how profitable and how viable are the Diamondbacks when you, when you look in comparison to maybe some other expansion franchises. So for Vegas, the real question will be is if they become the Diamondbacks and they have a lull in a period of five or six or seven years where they are bottom feeders, what does that do to the fan base? Is it still going to be the same or is Vegas going to be one of those franchises that's going to go on a 14, 15, 16-year run of being competitive? And that's really the interesting story to follow over the next seasons. Yeah, and you don't even have to look to Major League Baseball for that. You could look, just stay in the NHL and look at the Coyotes down there. Mm-hmm. You know, They haven't been that popular. There was a lot of talk that the Coyotes or the Hurricane at the time were going to be a team that might come here. That's when Bill Foley said, no, I don't want to retread to somebody else. I don't want somebody who already has a fan base and we're taking the team away from them. I don't want somebody that has people that don't like them. Although I don't really know how many people hate the Arizona Coyotes because they've never really been good enough to hate. They've had a couple decent teams here and there. But he did want that. And that that is an interesting point. It is something that I I don't know when that's going to happen because of the no state income tax, because people do like Vegas, because the players that have come here see like, oh, Summerlin, Greenville, there's some nice areas out here, you know. It's not just a strip and what we see on TV. So it does seem like it has that natural built thing where people want to come here. But we also know that in sports, and you see it right now with a team like you mentioned Buffalo before, with Jack Eichel and what happens and things like that. One or two bad contracts where you get a guy that doesn't hit that home run or, you know, all of a sudden it becomes a big dent in the salary cap that you can't overcome, and you can kind of fall to that. Season one, everybody thinks of, oh, the Vegas Golden Knights and the San Jose Sharks. That's the big rivalry. And it has become that way. It wasn't that in season one. It was the L.A. Kings. Mm -hmm. It was Drew Doughty talking, saying, I guarantee at the end of the season, look what's happened to them since then. They're a non-factor. They're competing with uh, Arizona, and I'm sorry, not Arizona, with Anaheim, and actually this year the Sharks as well because they haven't been, they weren't any good this year. But like, who's the worst in California or something like that? So there are those ebbs and flows. I, I think a lot of the Vegas Golden Knights fans are smart enough to know how lucky they've been to have a team that made the playoffs every year that goes to the Western Conference Finals or last year, whatever you want to call the thing, because it wasn't with the bubble and everything else and things that were different. but Well, not the bubble last year, but uh, the, the, the difference in the, in the divisions and that with the Canadian division and everything else. But I don't know what's going to happen when that downswing comes. And I think it's going to be a while, but eventually the salary cap or something's going to catch up with them. And the other thing about it is I think a lot of Golden Knights fans are now realizing, yeah, they watched Belmar and they watched Nate Schmidt and they watched some other guys leave and they weren't happy with it, but they thought it was a business. But with the recent Marc-Andre Fleury to Chicago deal, I think now people are really hit right between the eyes of this is a business and some of them really don't like the business side of hockey or a lot of pro sports. Yeah, there was a certain magic to season one. And one of the things that I thought that was exciting about season one was that there there didn't seem to be a rush in order to create tradition or to create something that that naturally grows and you talk about that rivalry with the los angeles kings in the first season and a lot of people wanted to push that the nhl was trying to push that it would be phoenix that it would be the coyotes yeah that that's would why be, they put them in the they, game one and then the first they game wanted here to and create oh, that we'll take narrative the two desert teams which are both not going to be very good but will make them play off each other right and and as you said just the key word playoff and playoff is where where rivalries are born and that that creation over the first couple of seasons of 
the Sharks being who they ran into in the playoffs, and then you throw into the mix and the recipe of, of Pete DeBoer coming over, being their head coach, the hated Pete DeBoer, and now now he's our guy, and how do we feel about that? That it's been a good story uh, this entire time that it's been here, and I think part of what's been good about it is that you, you couldn't pre-write it, and all of the things that you th- thought you knew perhaps you didn't. I remember when uh Gerard Gallant was let go and I thought to myself like of all the crazy things that I could have thought that have, would have happened in sports that day Gerard Gallant getting fired was not on it he wouldn't have been in the top 100 things yeah, it wasn't that I would on have the thought. radar not at all not on the radar and even when you look back when you saw maybe there were writings on the wall that you, know, you weren't sure of the the future of Marc-Andre Fleury seeing Fleury traded the the other day that was another thing that was like how I don't I couldn't comprehend that happening especially in in season one and to see that twist in the story and, and I think that is going to be I think that's going to be one of the things that the Golden Knights in retrospect will regret well and again you talk about everything that happened that season one that you couldn't write it Marc-Andre Fleury went down with a concussion in the Detroit game mm-hmm. in that season he was gone for a long time they were winning games with third and fourth string goalies Oscar Dansk had the first shutout in Vegas Golden Knights history. You know, a lot of people don't remember that. Mm-hmm. Thomas Nosek had the first goal at T-Mobile Arena. He just left the team. He's no longer here. He's going to Boston. You know, William Carlson had 43 goals. He was one of the top goal scorers in the league. He didn't score anything with Columbus. Now they had him on a third or fourth line, so, you know, they didn't set him up for success. But everything that happened, it was like a fairy tale. It was like a movie with a really bad ending if you're a Golden Knights fan. Mm -hmm. All of a sudden, you know, you didn't take the homecoming queen to the prom. Or you didn't win, hit the big home run to win the game. You lost. It was the movie with the sour ending. And what I remember, one of the things, I mean, I remember a lot from that season. But one of the things that I remember was in the playoffs, when they had to play the Kings in the first round. Oh, boy, Drew Doughty's going to get his revenge. We're going to lose to them. And then they're like, oh, we crushed them. They won every game by one goal. Jonathan Quick was sensational in that series. It's not like they blew them off the ice, but they found ways to win to keep the story alive. And they did that every round. The people were like, oh, now we got to play the Sharks? Oh, we're done. Mm-hmm. Oh, wait, we beat them. Oh, the Jets? Ryan Reeves, of all people, gets the goal. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it was just crazy. By the time they made it to the finals... That was the first time that people weren't saying we're going to lose. It's like, we're going to win the Stanley Cup. They were starting to plant the parade route. They won game one. They scored the first goal in game two. And then the hammer came <laughs> down. Alice Ovechkin decided to play defense. And Barry Trotz made some adjustments that, unfortunately, Gerard Gallant didn't have answers for. And Washington rolled on from that point. But... It, they were Vegas Golden Knights fans thought, okay, the fairy tale ends ending every round until the final, and then they were already. It's like, don't celebrate yet. This isn't done. Oh no, we're gonna win now. Well, that didn't happen, but it was still an incredible season. You think about uh, the Alex Tucker goal that that wasn't, and what be with the big save. What that would have done in terms of, of changing the narrative of that series. But the whole season, and in a huge credit to the Golden Knights fans and the people that, that were there from the beginning and the ones that joined on board or the, or the people that held on to their team for two or three months and eventually said, you know what, I like these guys. It was a real credit to the fans to be willing to accept that story, to go along for the ride, not knowing what was around the next curve. And I think that was part of the fun at least for us uh in in doing those games is we we never knew what was going to happen next and and the thing just kept growing and building and and it was a whole lot of fun and i'm glad i got to do it with you how many times going to t-mobile arena doing the home games or even the road games out in some bar or something like that that we're doing it at did we go there and you'd see somebody wearing a golden knights jersey and then they'd kind of look around and they'd lift up the jersey and show their Blackhawk jersey or Ranger jersey or Canadian jersey or something underneath it. Like, yeah, I'm still supporting this. Or you'd see a family of four or five. The dad's wearing his team jersey. The mom's wearing a Golden Knights. One of the kids is wearing a Golden Knights jersey. The other one's wearing the same jersey as dad or whatever. It, but it wasn't like the Mason-Dixon line or it wasn't like the, oh, you know, the North versus the South or something. It's like there was still, you know, they were all enjoying hockey. They were enjoying the first professional team. They could still root for one but not hate the other or whatever. And and I thought that was one of the, the dynamics too. Like a lot of parents were like, you know what? 
I'm I'm always going to be a this fan or that fan. But my kids, hey, they're in Vegas. I'm going to raise them this way. And then we, like you say, we even saw the adults that were fans of other teams that were like, all right, fine, I'm converting now. And one thing too that was that always strikes me is when you would meet fans from coming from out of town, and that's something that they had always said that there wasn't there wasn't this hostility in the arena or the hostility on the plaza that you might find in Boston or Philadelphia or Edmonton. How about the guys from Quebec? Game one, yeah, exactly. those guys were awesome. <laughs> exactly, and they said that you know it was just sort of it was very welcoming. And I think you know Las Vegas, and it, given that it is an entertainment capital, it is a a tourist town that. Uh, kudos to the fans for for being welcoming to to all of the other all the other fans from the other uh, teams and and making those guys feel welcome and it just created this really cool atmosphere at T-Mobile and it was really fun to be a part of. I'm sure we all have we both have a lot of memories from that first season and that what are some of your favorite memories of that season? And maybe something that you didn't care for so much. Because I know that, you know, we were kind of put in situations that weren't always the most comfortable. The concourse, it was cool meeting the people, but sometimes they were a little too close. Beer house, you know, we'd we'd miss the third period of games and have to go over there. So it was definitely a learning curve on a lot of different things. But overall... I believe the positives way outweighed the negatives. Yeah, they really did. And, and it was it was getting to know sort of the regulars, the fans that would come by that we would see every week and, uh, and, and getting to say hello to them. Getting to meet a lot of the folks and work with them on the national level, all of the friends that we made at uh, NHL Network and around the league and how welcoming they were to having a, a new partner uh, in the in the NHL and, and I thought that was one of the things that I thought was was really refreshing is I sort of expected the rest of the media world to be a little bit standoffish and be like oh it's, it's there's Vegas people but they were they were all very welcoming and very kind and, and in seeing like I said the the fans that kind of went out of the way I still remember game one against Dallas we were at one of the local bars and I remember the guy I remember the guy that had made a homemade Zamboni out of a child's pedal car. Oh, yeah. And he, and he, I forgot about that. And he would come out and he would ride this thing around the bar. And I thought, this this is only game one. And this is, this is going to get nuts. And it did. And then, of course, they won game one on James Neal goal. And then they well, won the second one. Or and- the amount of people that would come down to the event that they would have uh, in, in Fremont Street. And just that sea of people that you, you yep. couldn't even... We had media passes, and you get around the easy way, and it still wasn't easy to get around how many people just packed in there. It was, it was fantastic. It, it, another thing that I remember, because I thought... And, and I've had it happen sporadically here and there, but when people would come up and, will you sign this? And they had a picture of you or me right. that they got out of... I don't even know where they got them sometimes, and, that, and I'm like... Wait, we're we're just slubs on the radio or something like that, and it was. But you you kind of realize how much you know, and they'd thank us for you know, thanks for not speaking above me in that. Where you know, I don't want to say we dumbed it down a little bit, but we tried to make it so that you know the hardcore fan would still enjoy it. But the novice fan that was just getting out of hockey would would still understand it and and be able to to go along with us and things like that and and I remember that the one thing that I really remember was and I'd heard it my whole life but you don't know because I hadn't been in an NHL locker room before just the sincerity and down to earth goodness that most of these players had Mark Andre Fleury one of the nicest guys in the world Brad Hunt every time we'd come in there he'd say hi to us before we could say hi to him Pierre Edouard Belmar who you know I wish him all the success in the world you know had the first you know his wife had the first baby as a golden knight he'll always have the golden baby as I mm-hmm. told him he was like yeah that's right but he never turned down an interview Jonathan Marshall show always told it exactly like it was even a guy like James Neal, who was kind of surly in that, he was surly if he said something stupid and he would call you out on it. I never held him for that. And I know you, you know, we're, we're both big Ohio State fans, but you became pretty good friends with John Merrill, the, the guy from Michigan. That's and right. Lucas Pisa talking about going around in his vestment that. But you just you got to humanize these people. And for the most part, I can't think of one guy on that team that I didn't think was actually a pretty good down-to-earth genuine human being yeah i will uh and to this day i will continue to be a john merrill apologist but what a great guy he was i was very happy to see him uh, get a shot uh in the stanley cup final but yeah they were that 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 group and i think that that's part of what made the story for the fans and let people grasp onto this team is it was an easy group of folks 
to like and and i I'm, I'm really looking forward to and i hope that that you and i will get to be a part of it when there's a you know a 10-year reunion or a 20-year reunion of that of that first season uh i, I hope we get to 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 see that uh because it was such such an interesting and and such a fun group and and i will never forget i think until until the day that i die frank of the most common question that i was asked the entire first season and do you know what that question was do you like hockey? I don't know. <laughs> no. It was by it was by middle-aged women asking me if I oh. could get their daughter a date with Alex Tuck. That's right. As soon as you said I'm at, wait, that's right. That was that, it. That every I got that I can't oh, even yeah. tell you how many times I got that he question. He was the most wanted eligible bachelor in Vegas as far as the people that came I, up to it us. It would be two, three times a night when we were out in public. Can you get my daughter a date with Alex Tuck? Yeah, or, or just can we at least meet him? Because then she'll work the magic on her own. But, right. but yeah, there was definitely that. That was that was. I'll I'll always remember that. That was one of the one of the great joys of uh, of that because it was just funny every time. Every time it was funny. Yeah, and then of course when they came up with the Golden Misfits and all the other stuff that they did. I mean, again, it was a magical season, and it showed too because William Carlson had his career year. He's been good since then, but nothing like that year. You know, I mean, it, it, you know, guys like David Perron. I'm a Blackhawk fan. I'm from Chicago. I used to have season tickets. I found myself cheering for David Perron in St. Louis to win a Stanley Cup. I hate the St. Louis Blues. But because I got to know Perron, I was like, hey, he's a cool guy. I wish him a... I hope they actually win. Mm-hmm. And then I'd kind of turn around like, who said that? Oh, wait, that was the voice in my head doing it. Mm-hmm. Because these guys did win you over. Because they were like that. Because they were genuine guys. You know I mean? I, the organization is the organization, and it is a business. But there's so many players that I've gotten to know in that. And I am curious to see what the locker room is going to be like now. Because we talk about that locker room season one, where there, no, where there were no expectations, but then they made the expectations on themselves, and they kept on living up to it and maybe in a lot of ways overachieving it. But that second season was different when they brought in some guys. It wasn't as loose. And then they brought in more guys. And they might be great hockey players, but the chemistry in the locker room was different. And now, the season coming up, with Marc-Andre Fleury not there, I'm not sure what the dynamic of that locker room is going to be. And again, we really didn't see the last season or two anyhow with all the Zoom calls and everything else. It wasn't, we didn't really get the inside look in the locker room. But just between season one and two, it was different. The thing that Marc-Andre Fleury does, and I still think he's a tremendous goalie, and is he worth $7 million a year? Well, last year he was. Mm-hmm. He won the Vezin Trophy, for crying out loud. I don't know if he is or not, but I know he brings a hell of a lot more to that team and that organization than to just what he does on the ice between the pipes. Yeah, he certainly, not just the face of the franchise, but he's sort of a quiet leader in the locker room, and he is one of those people that you know when he when he speaks you listen because he doesn't speak all the time you know Jonathan Marsha show I think he has a lot of things to say but he also speaks all the time so sometimes when Jonathan Marsha show if he goes on a little bit of a ranch you're like ah it's just Marchie being Marchie but when when Marc-Andre Fleury would take the time to make a statement it was it was calculated it was for a reason and I, I also wonder who's going to take that corner locker that he had in the in the locker room is it? What's, will it be Robin Leonard? Yeah, will, I mean, it, it kind of seems like the starting it, goalie will, locker. Will it stay empty? Will Will someone take it? That that'll be a curious vision when the first time in the locker room. Yeah, and, and like you mentioned, Mark Andre Fleury was he wasn't afraid to talk or nothing like that, mm-hmm. but he would rather talk about driving his cars or his family or something. Oh yeah, like he would talk about stuff. his kids. I mean, it's like yeah, I, I talk hockey all the time. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about something else. You know, I took my car out on the speedway the other day and went on, <laughs> took a couple laps around the track. He feels the need for speed quite a bit, mm-hmm. and, and, he, d- and he still wants to score that goal in a game. I just remember him thinking too. It was the it was the weirdest and the coolest thing to have chocolate Andre Fleury that that they made. Uh, I can't remember at the Bellagio. Which, at the Bellagio yeah. yeah, and he, he didn't even know about it. And we told him about it, and he went down there and took a selfie with it. And uh, but yeah, just things like that just sort of tripped him out. Well, yeah, and, and when you find out when you walk in the locker room and you're trying to talk to someone, they go, "Hey, can you move aside? I'm trying to watch this golf event or a basketball game." And then you realize it's like they're they're just like us. Mm-hmm. They watch other sports in that too. You know, William Carlson was always talking soccer with. Chris Chapman mm-hmm. or whatever, you know, or, you know, the, it, it, 
they love every other sport as well, you know, and, and they have their country pride in things. So, And you know that sometimes they had little side bets amongst each other on a NCAA. You know, John Merrill was betting somebody on the NCAA tournament, or mm-hmm. this one was betting on the World Cup or the Euro Cup or different things. So, yeah, and, and that was one of the coolest things to me was just humanizing them and finding out, you know what? They're down-to-earth people that just happen to be really good at hockey. In, in, in finding out the, the ins and outs and just how important their team ranking in the ping-pong tournament was. Like, that that was right. how important that was, how, what their ranking was. And, and how Marsha Scholl refused to lose at anything, even if it was Nerf basketball. Mm-hmm. you you got to play again. You got to go again. Yeah, you'd almost have to throw a game to 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 let him leave you alone. From what the players told us, and I still remember Pierre Edward Belmar at practice would would look at the side for for somebody standing next to the glass who wasn't paying attention, who was looking at their phone, and then he would just intentionally shoot a puck right at the glass and yeah. make them jump. And that was just the most fun thing for him, and I, it was fun for me too. Yeah, no, I, I think we all had a great time. Yeah, I, I never thought I'd say that I had a great time the year that I broke my neck, but I had a great time that season. All right, Frank Carnish, Ballpark Frank, <laughs> along with Clayton Hamilton, T.C. Martin down in Houston, checking out a little baseball. We'll have Jim Gemma at the top of the hour talking a little aviators and what's going on in Major League Baseball. But also the Olympics are here. Clayton is a lover of the Olympics, as am I. Up a lot of late nights watching a lot of different events. Uh, team handball on today, women's team handball, a pretty good match going on. Water polo, the United States blow it against Italy. Hey, we got time to talk about all that stuff. Little Olympic talk when we come back. T.C. Martin Show, tcmartinshow.com. Turn your head and cough. Here's the doctor, T.C. Martin. And the gold medal goes to T.C. Martin for finding a way to get people to do his show when he goes on vacation, and they don't. What's up with that, man? Yeah, well, I guess I was one of those suckers born every minute. T.C. Martin Show, Ballpark Frank sitting in, numchuck behind the glass. My good friend, Mr. Clayton Hamilton, joining me on today's show. Talked a little bit about VGK and... uh, Vegas and yeah, actually we never really got into that much of the the whole scene the whole scene of where Vegas is going to be and so so let's really quick do that before we get to okay. the Olympics. Where do you see Vegas in five years from now? Because ten years ago, if you would have said that there was going to be the NHL, the NFL, an AHL team, a WNBA team, people would have said, "Well, that's not going to happen this quick or whatever." And yet. Here we are. The Golden Knights are going in season five? five. I I feel like uh, the NBA coming here makes a lot of sense. And I, I think that if the NBA can find the right minority ownership group in order to have a uh, a footprint on, on a new franchise, I think that that's something that they're going to go forward with in both Seattle and here in Las Vegas. Uh, put them both in the West, kick uh, Minnesota to the East. But I think that and this might be an odd take on where the future lies of Las Vegas, but I, I really feel like UNLV needs to figure out what it is. Like UNLV has to make a decision on what are they. Are they a fledgling mid-major? Are they going to be a basketball school? Are they going to be a football school? Are they going to try and be both? Because there's nothing wrong with being Indiana. There's nothing wrong with being North Carolina and saying, you know what, we're going to put all in on our basketball program and whatever happens in the football program happens. Because the shift to a larger representation in the Power Five is coming and it's happening. And UNLV needs to figure out how to not be left out when that does happen. Oakland A's, they coming here or not? I think they are. What's too much for the city? We talked about the Vegas Golden Knights. Oh, it's never going to work. Well, it's thriving. The Silver Knights come to town. Well, that's AHL tickets aren't as much. Now we have an NFL team as well. We did talk about we talked about a lot of smaller cities, but every one of those smaller cities still have other towns and uh, you know cities in that around them where there's mm-hmm. a lot more to go. Vegas isn't necessarily a driving destination, although it looks that way every weekend when mm-hmm. you see the car the cars from California and that can Vegas actually support major league baseball nFL nBA NHL I mean that's a lot for a city that had none of that stuff before if the corporate if there's corporate money 
involved in everything, Frank, then absolutely they can. Because when you look at a baseball team, where they really drive and generate that revenue is from the corporate season ticket holders, from the corporate sponsorship, and from the television deal. And if they can get those, then it's almost ancillary the other amount of ticket sales that you have, particularly if you build your business model around a 36,000-seat stadium or so. You know, if you're trying to, to, to fill and need 55,000 in order to survive on your business model, then you're going to run into a problem. But if, you, if you're one of those 36,000-seat stadiums that can survive uh, with a good TV deal, then I think it's possible. And when you talk about 36,000 people, a lot of people are thinking, well, that's nothing. That's basically Wrigley Field. Yeah, it's Wrigley Field. And, and, and the Field. Cubs do okay. And here's the thing. You don't even need 36,000 people to show up. You need to sell 36,000 seats. And that's where it goes to that corporate money that says, hey, we're going we're gonna to buy X amount of seats and we're going to give them away or, or casino properties are going to buy them and they're going to give them away. It doesn't matter who sits in them or if anybody sits in them. It only matters that they're corporately purchased and sold. Same with your luxury boxes. It doesn't matter if there's two people in there. It's, it, is, is it sold? And if you can have that proper corporate money – then you can survive. And that's the, that's the trouble Tampa has. Tampa doesn't have that corporate backing in order for them to fill their 36 or 38,000 seat stadium, which is why Tampa's looking at, oh, maybe Montreal, maybe Buffalo, maybe they have to go somewhere else where a, a city like you know Chicago or Boston or you know they have those 36,000 seat stadiums and they do just fine. Yeah, and Wrigley Field is actually like 41 or whatever mm-hmm. because they have done some, some expansion there. But again, around that size or whatever. And that's the thing that I argue with people all the time is it's like everybody goes, "Oh, well, you know, they're not going to survive out here." You don't have to be the Yankees or the Red Sox or that you don't have to sell out every game, you know, cuz not every team is that, you know. Can you compete with some of the other people a mid-level team? Still does okay, and if you win, more people are going to show up. By the way, Derek Stevens, uh, of course, down at Circa, uh, just made a statement that the A's will be coming here to Vegas. So we'll see how all of that plays out, and uh, you know, and, and and see what transpires from that. But my concern, I hope that they don't overgrow it too much and oversaturate. Mm-hmm. But right now, it seems like this city is just thirsty for anything they could get. They are, and I would really like to see UNLV make that decision to be relevant. And they can, and they have been in the past. But if UNLV would just put its focus on becoming a prominent basketball school again, then you can survive in a place like the Pac-12. Because you know what? Indiana does just fine in the Big Ten being a really good football school that, or I'm sorry, a really good basketball school that's competitive in the Olympic sports, and they put an okay football product on every so often. Same with North Carolina. And UNLV can be that. UNLV can be a destination school in basketball. But you have to make that decision that you are going to be a basketball school. You're going to be UConn. And that's fine, UNLV. But you have to make that decision instead of splitting hairs all over the place. And you mentioned Indiana being good in some of the Olympic sports. One of those sports that Indiana known for swimming. Well, Vegas does have a connection there with Erica Sullivan getting a silver medal in, a, in her race. Uh, some other swimmers now training in Las Vegas, the area here, it's getting known for that. You wouldn't necessarily think of swimmers coming from the desert, but then you wouldn't think of them coming from Seward, Alaska either. So mm-hmm. it shows if there's a pool there and somebody's got the talent that they can still get the job done. Let's uh, switch it over to the Olympics a little bit. I know you've been watching a lot of it. I've been watching everything from from three-on-three basketball to fencing to soccer to the tennis, even though it is the big names, because I'm curious to see what Novak Djokovic does. Uh, a lot of different things, even skateboarding, where I guess a couple 13-year-olds won some gold medals. Badminton there, surfing, the first medal goes to a girl from Honolulu. What have been your impressions of the Olympics thus far, and what do you think of the coverage of the Olympics? Because I've heard some people not too happy with that. I think it's been okay. I don't think it's been stellar. I would do some changes, but they didn't give me a billion dollars to make those decisions. Uh, as far as the coverage goes, I... I'm a little annoyed with NBC's decision that they've made in how they're going to cover them. And it is a challenge because of the time difference. And, but they have multiple outlets. And I thought they've been using their multiple outlets well in the fact that it's very easy to find just about any one of the sports that you want. The problem that I have is NBC's a little bit of their greed in pushing things that people want to watch 
to their paywall. So if you look at men's basketball, which is a driving force for the ratings and what a lot of people want to see included, they've pushed that to Peacock, right? And Peacock, you have to have your, you know, you have to get it over your internet. You got to pay them a monthly fee in order for you to get Peacock. So they're driving what people want to watch. Same thing with women's gymnastics coverage, live coverage, men's gymnastics. They're driving that to the paywall, which, was, which bothers me because they've done that with their Olympic sports. They have the Olympic channel. You're supposed to be able to watch bobsled. You're supposed to be able to watch skiing, all of those winter sports. They've pushed those to the paywall as well, which is the future of television. And that's what drives me crazy, Frank, because I don't want to watch something on my phone. I don't want to watch it on my computer. Yeah, there's a reason I have a big screen TV at home, to watch stuff on the big screen. Exactly. And and if if you want to put it on Peacock and you want to make Peacock a premium channel and you want me to pay $4 a month for it, that's fine. Make it available on Dish. Make it available on DirecTV or Cox so that I can get it on my, on my television. I'll pay your $4 a month, but don't make me watch it on my phone and don't make me watch it on my computer. And knowing that you're trying to drive me to your paywall by putting the sports that I want to see on that, it gives me a bad taste in my mouth about NBC and the way that they've done their coverage. And I, and I typically like NBC and think that they do sports better than anyone else. I want to throw this in, too, because uh, you just kind of brought up a point that I'm a little bit angry about, but I didn't even realize it till you mentioned that, because I've kind of put it in the back of my mind, like, well, they're doing the best they can. You're right. They're not showing some of the primetime stuff, and when they do, you already know the results and that kind of stuff, unless you do get it on Peacock or something. But the other thing that they do a lot, like the three-on-three women's basketball, they won the gold medal. Kudos to them. Good job. I think three-on-three needs a lot of work as far as their rules, and you get two free throws after so many fouls, Mm -hmm. even if you're taking a one-point or this. I I, I think they need to tweak that game a lot to make it more entertaining and to quite frankly make it look like... I've played in three-on-three basketball tournaments that I thought were better played than I saw in some of the Olympic stuff here. But then they showed it live, and I saw it live at, like, whatever, 6 o'clock in the morning. Then they showed it again in the morning. Then they showed it again in the afternoon. Then they showed it again that night. Okay, I've already seen this. Now, I know that maybe, some, okay, you want a primetime, this and that, but you showed the same event, and then the men's around it, the semifinals that went around it, and this and that. You've showed the same thing like four or five times instead of showing me something new that I couldn't catch, you know? Mm-hmm. Whether it's a soccer game or, a, you know, the, the badminton, the table tennis, this, that, and the other. And again, I surf around, and one thing that I always look at is, what's a repeat, what's live? And then the other thing that drives me crazy is when it says, three-on-three basketball, and you tune in, and there's fencing on or there's something, and it's not three-on-three basketball. Okay, I know that maybe you're not going to show that the whole time, that, that, but then show the time slot of the other things going on. It's going to be three-on-three basketball. It's going to be BMX riding mm-hmm. along with the other stuff. Show me what I'm really going to watch because I'm kind of dependent on looking at the bottom of the ticker thing there on your, on your description of what you're showing to see where I want to go on the different channels that I do have without peacock yeah and that that's the thing that's been frustrating for me because i've run into that too i dvr just about everything and then go back through and watch so that i can i can skip all the commercials and i can you know skip something that i've already seen because they do the repeats and their their descriptions versus what they're actually showing has been a problem and i'm with you on that that they have shown you know beach volleyball they'll show team usa and they'll show the same game four times but why not show me marta benengati in italy why not show me from uh, from Brazil, give me some of those other pool matches instead in that slot of something that's repeated three and four times. And something else that they've had trouble with this time around, and, and I, I don't know if it's because of all of the travel restrictions that they had had in the past year, it's very challenging what they're trying to do in order to get these broadcasts, and, and broadcasting a lot of things from the U.S., and, and they have a studio in Connecticut instead of having everybody in Tokyo. It's part of what makes the Olympics interesting in terms of watching for somebody that doesn't follow it all year round. I follow it, you know, all four years. I know a lot about the players that are involved. But for a lot of people, it's a it's learning about who they're watching and learning those stories. And particularly when you have a time delay and you have time as a director and producer to craft the storyline of the sport, they're not doing that anymore. It, it's almost like they, they put it on there and they cut to a commercial and then they come back and you've missed something instead of crafting that story. And the reason they're doing that, Frank, is because they want you to watch it on their paywall on the Internet and on your phone where you don't have that break. 
But the other night, men synchronized uh, diving. The Mexican team was in contention the whole night. They cut a commercial break every time that Mexico came on to dive. You missed every one of their dives until the very last one where they were going for a medal. Craft that story. Like, you had time to take your break around whatever other, you know, fifth or sixth or seventh place diver there was to create the story. And you would think that Mexico would be a popular thing to show in this country more than Belarus or something else. So craft the story, especially when you're running something on tape delay. And and when you say something like that, that actually brings me to something that I was checking out this morning because – if you don't want a spoiler alert, I'm about to give the results of the women's all-around gymnastics final here. So I don't think it's a big secret because it's been blasted all over the place. Simone Biles obviously did not compete. We know that she stepped out because of mental health issues. But Suni Lee won the gold medal. She won the all-around. So congratulations to her. I believe it's the fifth straight Olympics now where the United States has won the all-around title in women's gymnastics. Suni Lee is a good story. And I kind of knew her story because, like you, mm-hmm. I follow some of these sports, the track and field, the women's gymnastics, things like that. Maybe not as, you know, the fencing and stuff like that like you do, but I watch a lot of these other ancillary sports, badminton, table tennis, things like that. I had to go to YouTube and watch the part that they put on SUNY Lee on from Peacock TV because mm-hmm. that's where they showed her story, you know. Her dad made a two, uh, took a two-by-four and made a balance beam for her when she was a little girl. Mm-hmm. They didn't have a lot of money. She couldn't go to one of the elite gymnastics classes. Her father fell out of a tree and broke his back two days before the, the USA trials mm-hmm. happened in 2019. She didn't want to go. He said, no, go for yourself and compete for me as well. She's got a very interesting story, her family story, everything else. And most Olympians do have it all around. But it's a story that, like you said, they could have crafted that in and shown that. And maybe they will tonight, because mm-hmm. I don't know exactly what they're going to show. But if you wanted to see it up to this point, and you don't know Suni Lee, mm-hmm. she's been a tremendous gymnast for a while now. But her story is interesting. And now she's, once again, she is the household name from gymnastics for this Olympics, for the USA. And it's not just crafting the athlete's story. It's crafting the story of the event. And when you look at somebody like Rebecca Andrade, who finished second, she's the uh, gymnast from Brazil. She finished second in qualifying. And it was was nip and tuck back and forth between the two. Now, you knew as a producer or director of that that she was going to be a story. So when they did the women's coverage of the team event and the qualifying, they showed most of the U.S. event. They didn't show Grace McCallum. They missed her on two apparatus, right? So they... They, they showed Russia because they were in the same group, but they ignored the entire rest of the field. So they ignored the gymnast from China. They ignored the gymnast from Japan. They ignored, ignored Rebecca Andrade, who's going to be a story in this all-around. So if you're NBC, you have to craft that story, Frank, in preliminaries. You have to craft that story in the team competition of following these players who are going to be important later, instead of just maybe dropping her in. And, and I'll be curious to see how they do the coverage in primetime this evening i'll still watch it even though i know what happened just to see how they how they tell that story but that's the part that's missing in these olympics is you have to tell the story two days before the story is relevant and they're not doing that in the way that bob costas used to do it in in nbc or jim the great jim mckay at uh, at abc when they originally had it and that's been my main concern and I'm, i'm hopeful that this is an aberration that it is caused by the the time difference and by the constrictions that the NBC has in terms of their crew, I hope that that comes back for Beijing uh, Winter Olympics 2022. And I'm not going to give them a mulligan on this, but I'm going to say my gut feeling is that in the women's gymnastics, when Simone Biles dropped out, they probably had so much coverage ready for her and her story and everything else that they were throwing a curveball that they weren't ready to hit. Mm-hmm. They were looking fastball all the way, and all of a sudden Simone Biles is out, and you're like, oh, well, not, who are we going to cover? What do, we don't have stories on these other people. They didn't have a plan B is what it kind of sounds like to me. It was like, well, Simone's going to win everything, so we're just going to focus on her, and yeah, we'll have a little something on, you know, uh, Suni Lee because, yeah, she's going to be right up there as well. But Simone was, I'm sure, the main focus. Mm-hmm. And with her not in it, all of a sudden it's like, oh, it would have been like years ago covering track and field. And what do you mean Carl Lewis isn't competing or something? So Because she was the women's gymnastics. I mean, for crying out loud, 
She had a goat on her leotard. Yeah, she she did. She <laughs> bought into a lot of the things that that are you know that are now bothering her bothering in a lot her. of ways. So, it, and again, whether she was talked into it or whatever the reason or whatever, but yeah, I mean, she did have the weight of the world, and she did. And and I, I talked with TC about this a little bit. But I want to get your thoughts because she did before this Olympics. She talked about how she'd never competed in an empty arena. She'd never competed without her family and friends right there to give her that support and that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And, you know, she's looking around, and I'm sure she loves her teammates. I'm sure Suni Lee and the other girls are very close. But she's still looking like, I'm a woman on this team of young teenage girls. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it was a different vibe age-wise, crowd-wise, expectation-wise. There were expectations before, but this year it was a given. If you would have said, what's the, what's the one clearest choice for Olympic gold this year? Most people probably instead of going into this Olympics, well, Simone Biles. Yeah, and she, it, they, there's a lot to that about that expectation of the, a lot of the girls looking up to her. Other than Michaela Skinner, who's also 24, and, and she had been with her in Rio. When you look at what what Simone's responsibilities were in Rio, Simone's responsibilities in Rio were just Simone, and Allie Raisman was really the the captain of that team, right. and she took on all of those extra things. And Laura that, Hernandez kind of became the cute little one mm-hmm. that they talked about on the side that she and, was going to be somebody forget, in the future. And don't that. forget, Gabby Douglas was on that. She yeah, was a, exactly. She was a two time yeah, gold medalist. She was medalist. kind of the Simone Biles of that team, right? So, so Simone just got to do Simone without sort of the these other expectations. And you think about somebody like uh, you know Sophia Kennan of of Team USA that was able to go in tennis and chose not to because she couldn't take her family or friends or anybody she right. had to go by herself and said you know what hey that's not for me i can't i can't i can't deal with being alone and you wonder if that's something that really sort of hit simone in a way that she wasn't prepared for all right tc martin show tc martin show.com ballpark frank my good friend mr clayton hamilton numchuck behind the board tc down in houston for a couple of days hope he's got some bug spray there's a lot of mosquitoes down there It's kind of like Vegas, not quite as hot, but with a lot of humidity. Mm, Yeah. You know, my brother lived there for a little while. I prefer the Dallas area. Yeah, I do too. I'm Dallas if you're going to go in Texas. So, all right. When we come back, we're going to still talk about some more Olympics and events still coming up, track and field. I know Clayton's all over that. Maybe try to slip in some NBA or some other stuff as well as the draft is coming up. But coming up next, my good friend, Mr. Jim Gemma from the Las Vegas Aviators. We'll talk a little baseball in the trade deadline coming up, too. Ballpark Frank, Clayton Hamilton. It's the T.C. Martin Show, tcmartinshow.com.